The Koigig Pod. Emma Bird is in tears. Keeping you up to date with all this summer's football in Australia. I can't believe it. We've finally done it. Subscribe to The Koigig Pod on the Off The Ball app now. Off The Ball Daily. Welcome along. It is Thursday night's Off The Ball. Nathan Murphy is at the Podrick Harrington Putting Green currently, so it's Will with you between now and 10pm. We've got a really good show ahead. We're going to be talking to the 2013 Footballer of the Year, Michael Darren McCauley, a man who sits on eight All-Ireland medals. Some of his former teammates could potentially go to nine if Dublin were to overcome Kerry in Sunday's All-Ireland Football Final. Martin Lipton will join us to talk about Jordan Henderson completing his move to Saudi Arabia. He has faced plenty of criticism about that today. Could Harry Kane be on his way to the Bundesliga to pay for Bayern Munich and Martin will be with us after 8 o'clock Gregor Paul is going to join us from Melbourne where by his own admission there's not a lot of excitement in Australia about their game against the All Blacks in the Rugby Championship this weekend the Wallabies haven't won the Bledisloe Cup now for 20 years he's going to be with us after 9 and the great John Giles is with us later this hour to talk about the passing of Trevor Francis who was laid to rest today the first ever million pound footballer and he'll be talking Kylian Mbappe running down his contract at Paris Saint-Germain as well Delighted to say Arthur O'Dea is here. How are you, Arthur? Not so bad, Will. How are you? And we've got Emery here as well. Hi, Will. Um, Arthur, it is a time when we start to look forward to the All-Ireland Football Final. The hype is starting to just kind of crank up a little bit. But is this one of these games, and I'm sure for those who are watching the football live in Crow Park currently, are probably thinking, ah, it's about hype time this stage of the week. It's such an easy sell, Dublin and Kerry. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's really nothing you need to do. Like, it, like it's one of the, you're not even, there's no question whatsoever will you watch it or not you will watch it you'll have to watch it it'll be everywhere it'll be next week it'll kind of dictate depends on what happens but like yeah while familiarity sometimes you would like maybe something a little different I'd like something a little different but at the same time it's like well I'm not not watching it it's still captivating it's still the two absolute heavyweights going at it again even if they are you know I think they have something like a share between them about half the old Ireland's ever won mm-hmm. two counties that's a bit bleak but I mean, you know, I suppose it's good for a reason. But I, yeah, I mean, it'll be class, but familiar, but class. Yeah, so, but the, like, their meetings, Emery, have been so meaningful. We talked to Michael Dyer about this and he remembers the Cluxton point and how significant that was. The great semi-final in 2013, Kerry getting over by a point last year and the iconic image of Sean O'Shea converting that free, which would eventually lead to Kerry winning the All-Ireland final. Generally, when Kerry and Dublin have met, even in recent years, the six-in-a-row game, let's be fair, they haven't been dull. Yeah, it feel it's the rivalry that we all love. It's the glamorous one, but it feels like this one, even more so than previous years, there's more subplots to it. You know, the fact that it's probably this last hurrah for an awful lot of these Dublin players that were on that great, great team. And this is Kerry on the cusp of possible dominance. So if they were to stop Dublin of having their last good day out, it'd be a huge scalp for them. But then if Dublin were to stop Kerry from doing the two in a row, Jack O'Connor as well remember has never retained the All-Ireland there's another plot there it's just it's set up to be just massive like blockbuster I'm buzzing for it I can't wait Um, and like we'll hear from Cormac Costello now in a few minutes talking about Stephen Cluxton coming back in and what he brings to the setup and what he demands from players just in um, the standards that he sets and I don't think it's a coincidence that Dublin 
are back into the All-Ireland after three years. It's mad to think that it's three years since they've been there, that they're back in when Stephen Cluxton comes back. You know, that's the kind of figure he is. Like, what's he going to bring to things on Sunday? I can't wait for it. I think, you know, like Dublin and Kerry, when they meet, it's generally like there isn't much between them. I think there generally will only be a kick of the ball between them on Sunday. I will hold my hands up, Arthur. And I will say, when I heard... Paddy Andrews and Joe had a conversation. Joe in this very seat back before the loud game going, Stephen Cluxon's out there and he's wearing the 16 shirt. <laughs> I thought this sounds like some kind of last desperate roll of the dice, bringing back all the old heads again. And then as the summer has gone on, this Dublin team has become more and more recognisable compared to the dominant team of old. Yeah, like I suppose it, I, I distinctly remember, you know, when so most of in in this winter of 2012 2012 yeah so when Man United brought Paul Scholes back mm. and they, I think that was it they won did they win the league yeah they won the league that year yeah yeah so that was or whatever it was and then it was kind of called as well a desperate move and um, Ferguson's kind of like <laughs> he's class <laughs> how could this be desperate but like I, so I don't think but I don't necessarily think they're mutually exclusive I don't know if Dublin will be there if he's not there because we don't like there's all those intangibles in terms of like and the same thing you will talk about Tamar and Lipton later with Jordan Henderson at Liverpool where it's like you can't really measure what they're doing off the pitch so I don't like when he comes in and, and who was it speaking was it Brian Howard speaking during the week about like how he just turned up and he yeah. was just there again <laughs> it's just and it's even that it's just I, it's very like because he has the stature he has and because he's the player he's been and again, as you're saying, like he could have nine All Ireland medals on Sunday evening. You just there must be something in that when he comes back in that makes everyone raise their game a little bit. It's just the serious and the levels goes up because presumably you don't want to disappoint him and his standards. And he sets a bar, and then it's like, well, I better reach it. So it's kind of it is. I don't think that necessarily means it's not desperate mm. because it's not a long term solution. But I don't think there's anything desperate about him, if you know what I mean. <coughs> he seems to be as kind of at such a level that it's a no-brainer to have him there. Art to me genuinely thought it would be a little bit of a distraction. You know, there was so much furore and hype around it. I thought it might be perhaps a negative in the setup. And then I remember Malachy Clerkin had a brilliant piece um, just around the time of it about his crankiness, Cluxton's crankiness and what that will bring to the setup. And that kind of turned my mind a little bit. And I think it's clear to see like their standards have improved since he has come in, like they are where they weren't for the last two years. So I think, yeah, his crankiness, what he demands of players, you know, even just by his presence, you don't want to let him down because he represents so much of what the county has done over the last decade. Yeah, I think it's massive what he's brought back in. And I'll admit, I was sceptical. I thought this could cause a little bit of distraction around the camp, but I was wrong. I also think as well, Emery, the Kerry Mafia are going to be quite happy at the moment. They're coming in as All-Ireland champions and the talk is about Dublin for the best part coming into this. Isn't it mad that Kerry are rightly the All-Ireland champions but the but Dublin just have all the experience in these big games. Yeah. That's bizarre. That's mad to think. And I know Kerry obviously won last year and they beat Galway, but it wasn't really a battle of an All-Ireland. And I say that as somebody from Galway, you know, Kerry just had too much for Galway. But like Dublin have been in those massive battles when you think about the finals against Mayo, the 2019 final against Kerry when it went to a replay um, and the final are... 
and the 2019 finals. So they've been in those massive battles that they've come out just on the right side of, usually by a point or two. And I think that will stand to them perhaps a little bit more than how Kerry come into the game. You know, they've been there and they have the experience. I know Kerry did it last year, but they didn't have to dig deep and find a way. It's going to be an intriguing final on Sunday. I can't wait for it. I think you've set it up very nicely. Michael Darmacauley will join us. He'll be talking about football and a bit more besides, including uh, how his Wikipedia page has been out of date for at least a year now. This is claiming that he lives in Sri Lanka. No, He's been living in Sri Lanka since his Lair Kegel came out. You don't know if he doesn't. He's on a Zoom call. He's ah, on the air. I don't <laughs> know like... now. I'm, I'm willing to trust the man. But he also revealed to us as well that Stephen Cluxon is still in the active Dublin WhatsApp group and the retired players WhatsApp group. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting, camps. yeah. Now, Michael Darmacauley claims he's the admin of the group and he's going to kick him out later on. So we shall see what happens. I feel Stephen Cluxton gets to keep one foot in each camp and he's fine. If they win, is this definitely Cluxton's last year? I wouldn't say I wouldn't so. rule no. anything out. <laughs> yeah. um, there's, there's definitely a lure for 10. Yeah. Well, 10's a oh, lovely round ten, number. 10's not getting beaten for a long time. No. Not, not even by... And that's thing, you're shedding your teammates who have left on eight and potentially left on nine at that point too. And a goalkeeper can probably stay around a bit longer. But I look at James McCarthy at the moment, Anne-Marie, and I don't think he's going to stop anytime soon. I'm not no. sure. And I don't... I, it's very, like, presumably, I don't know, obviously, uh, McCaffrey is a good bit younger. I think McCaffrey and Mannion came back in for this year. And it was kind of on that condition. I don't think they're back for the long term. But McCarthy, yeah, you could see another couple of years in him. There was in that Mayo game, the quarterfinal, when he played absolutely out of his skin. You just think to yourself, how is he doing this at 33 years of age with eight All-Irelands in his pocket? And the game was over and he making these brilliant blistering runs. And you're just thinking, where is he getting the energy? Where is he getting the motivation? So there's still plenty left in that tank. Now, he has said he's been out during the week doing media that there's more years behind him than ahead of him. But I don't think he'll step away too easily. He might go for another We're all in that position now if uh, McCarthy wants to look at it that way. But this is a Kerry team who could (laughs) potentially, um, you know, set up their own dynasty as well, Arthur, if they win. That's the intriguing thing about this narrative. Don't think so. You don't think so? Don't think there's a few All-Irelands in this team? There might be, but not like that. This won't be the David Clifford era? There's no way they're doing like four or five in a row, anything approaching that. Not a chance. Dublin won eight in 10 years. I don't see anything like that. No, that's not coming. Which is good for the championship because it does feel like it might be a bit more open over the next decade. Ah, but it is that open really. I did wonder about this when the semi-finals finished, which is we sat in these very chairs many times this year and went, this is the most open All-Ireland Championship we've had in over a decade. It's going to be someone new potentially winning and there's five or six teams who could win. And here we are with the two old favourites in the final again. I know that's that's why it's a little bit it's not disappointing like the game will be class and everything about it will be great and it'll be great watch and it'll be a great spectacle and everything about the day Crow Park will look brilliant and I think in a way funnily enough the last weekend with the hurling while it was like I found it brilliant personally obviously with a personal interest there but it didn't quite still feel like an All-Ireland final for whatever kind of reason I don't know was that the weather Was I, I, I wouldn't get so caught up with the dates thing I think that's kind of relative anyway it doesn't really matter when but maybe it was the weather or maybe it was the two teams. I don't know what it was, but it just didn't have the exact 10 out of 10. This is massive feel to it. Um, I, probably in a similar way to some of those Kilkenny finals during their run. Similarly. I, there was kind Where of, it felt yeah. like they were about to go and collect Lehman. And yeah, almost, case, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But this, so that is, this game, I suppose, has the luxury. Of, it'll never feel like that. It's never going to feel like a formality. And that's the only thing. You're almost glad these two teams got here. 
because if it was just one of them I think and no disrespect again to Galway from last year like and they obviously ran Kerry quite close but if it was Derry or Monaghan in the final you'd <sighs> expect him on the two big two to win yeah it re- I don't think it would have it at all the same appeal you'd be kind of hoping for a surprise yeah which is great if it happens but I suppose more often than not doesn't so uh, I don't the, know it's the dream for the new it's hard to know what, it's, it is hard to know what you want Amory League of Ireland teams involved in Europe not going Shamrock Rovers way against Frank Varash. Yeah, that's right. Three League of Ireland teams are in second round qualifying action for the Europa Conference League tonight. And Shamrock Rovers, as you say, this is really not going to plan. They trail Ferenc Varos 3-0 in Hungary where there isn't even an hour on the clock. So you could imagine this could get even worse for Stephen Bradley's side. Elsewhere, then the... in. Iceland, it's Dundalk taking on KA with 13 minutes gone there, still scoreless and at a quarter to eight tonight, Derry City have home advantage for the first leg of their tie with Coops of Finland. So Rovers 3-0, Dundalk scoreless. Mm, Particularly disappointing for Shamrock Rovers on the back of going out of the cup at the weekend just gone by as well. At the Women's World Cup, conventional wisdom memory was Australia have started off very well against the Republic of Ireland. This should put them in a strong position to qualify. And now they face an uphill task to get out of the group. Nigeria came from behind to beat FIFA Women's World Cup co-hosts Australia in their second Group B match today. The African side therefore topped the group ahead of Canada with more goals scored. On Monday, Ireland play Nigeria while Australia take on Canada. So all three of those sides, apart from Ireland, can still make the last 16. Elsewhere then today, Portugal kept their hopes of a place in the next round alive. That was thanks to a 2-0 win over Vietnam in Group E. And in the same group, the United States and the Netherlands played out a one-all draw. You know, Arthur, every time we're hearing this, it's expectations being realigned. So start of the tournament, it was Canada might be a little bit more difficult than Australia, but it's hard to play the co-hosts in the first game. Then Canada weren't great against Nigeria and the argument was "Mm, maybe we're playing Canada at a good time. And now it's, well, Nigeria looked like they're pretty good as well. (laughs) Nigeria, (laughs) looking out of this group with anything. Yeah, looked quite good today. Only saw no snippets of it was going into work. But um, it definitely felt, it must be very strange now for kind of Australian fans particularly, because there was, I know even with the pre-match shots we were having here, like, and especially with uh, Sinead and Kathleen who were out there, that there was kind of a half hope that Australia would go deep and it would really kind of take over. But um, I suppose after today you wouldn't be putting much faith in them with that. No, I don't think all. so. I think you put Canada Nigeria's favourites to qualify now. And uh, the other question is, Amory. What does uh, Vera Pau do at this stage? Because there are players there now because there was only the two changes made to the starting lineup ahead of the game against Canada. There's plenty of players who haven't got game time during the World Cup or significant game time. Do you give a chance to the players who haven't played so far? Or do you go with a strong 11 to finish out the tournament? I don't know. It's really hard. There's arguments for both sides because to go to a World Cup and to uh, not play it would be so disappointing for those players on the fringes of the squad but then also this Ireland team needs to finish on a high and is it one win in their last six games? So they beat Zambia in the warm-up game and I think they've they've only scored two goals even in the period if you go back to the two games in the USA. So a positive obviously would be good. So it's up to Vera Pau now to weigh the pros and the cons of that. I don't know. I honestly think it's about a 50-50 shout. 
What do you think, Arthur? Maybe a win or a draw would be more important than giving game time, but it'd be horrible to travel and not get on the pitch or not get more than a few minutes. Yeah, you can't be too... Like, at the same... Uh, yeah. So, like, Nigeria will be going all guns blazing for that. Probably win the group, so yeah. yeah. They're not going to be messing around. I don't know is it necessarily in the best interest of the thing to be cert- on, on any sort of sentimental type level to be picking a team on the back of that. And obviously all the people there she has there she believes are good enough to be there. So, I mean, it, it checks out you might play someone that wouldn't get playing normally. But... I think you got to go and try and win it. You have to try and win it. It still would be a, a landmark in the same way that Katie McCabe's goal last night will forever be the first goal At a major Ireland got it. You know, yeah. you, you want to get that first win. You may as well get it now than trying to get it. Whatever, two years, four years from now. I just think it may, I, I don't. I, I really, yeah. I don't think there be any sort of um, compromise on that. Yeah. I think I think they'll want desperately to win. Players as well have spoken about how they feel that they are deservedly at this level, that they've taken a step up now. And when you're playing in that elite, there isn't room for sentimentality. So Mm. I suppose it will be understood in that regard. But it's hard on the players who go and don't get a look in. Big time. Um, Golf, Stephanie Meadow, how's she getting on? Stephanie Meadow is five shots off the lead after a two under par round of 69 at the Evian Championship in France today. South African Paula Retto and England's Melissa Reid shared the lead on seven under par. Leona Maguire is one under after today. This, of course, one of the ladies tours majors. Uh, Meanwhile, the RFU deciding having an Englishman in charge of the men's rugby team has gone reasonably well. So let's try a similar path for the women's team. Scott Beamond has been appointed head coach of the Ireland women's 15s team. The 44-year-old Englishman has signed a three-year contract with the IRFU. The former Harlequins, Leicester and Bath scrum half takes over the role from Greg McWilliams, who left after 18 months in charge. That was following this year's Six Nations. Beamond has been part of the England's women's setup since 2015 and he comes into the role with a wealth of experience. He helped them to six Six Nations titles and they also reached two World Cup finals. If you are just joining us, uh, Tommy Rooney has been going to Kerry to speak to the camp in the kingdom and Asha Riley went to talk to the Dublin camp ahead of this weekend. So if you're looking for preview material, plenty of it in the OTB GEA podcast stream. If you want to watch those videos from during the week and Shane Hannan's been going around um, talking to both camps as well, you can pick it all up on our YouTube currently. One of the interviewees, Amory, you mentioned at the top of the show, Cormac Costello has been chatting to Asha ahead of Sunday. Yeah, Dublin forward Cormac Costello has described Stephen Cluxton as both a leader and an inspiration. The 41-year-old Parnells man will start in Sunday's All-Ireland Senior Football Championship final against Kerry. That's after returning to the setup in the spring following a two-year absence. Cluxton already has eight All-Irelands to his name as well as 17 Leinster titles and six All-Stars. Looking ahead to Sunday with Ashlane, Costello explained what kind of a figure like him brings to a setup. You take Stephen Cluxton any day of the week, you know, um, to be part of your dressing room. The, the level of experience he brings, the level of leadership he brings, it can only rub off on on everyone. Um, so, uh, no, we welcome him back with open arms and it's great having him back in around the group. 
when you mention he's a leader, does he talk in the dressing room? Is he that type of player? Yeah, he does. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't say there's just one person who kind of takes it, that that kind of vocal leadership capacity. But no, he does. Yeah, he um, he, he talks, but as well as actions, like you would have been well documented before, like the, the the level of commitment he puts into every single session, um, and it can only rub off on you. But uh, yeah, he, he's always there for advice, and um, look, he's been there, he, he's seen it all, so he's someone that uh, definitely you could go to, and if you had an issue or if you if you wanted something, some bit of inspiration or advice, you know. Yeah, Costello has been excellent for Dublin throughout the year as well. Set to start this weekend's All Ireland final. Amory Jordan Henderson's move to Saudi Arabia is now finally complete. Liverpool have confirmed the departure of captain Jordan Henderson to Saudi Arabian club Al Etifak. The 33-year-old has moved in a deal worth 14 million euro plus add-ons. Liverpool LGBTQ plus supporter group Cop Outs have expressed disappointment with the move to a nation where LGBT. Q plus people are oppressed. Henderson had been a prominent ally of the movement in the past. Yeah, I mean, Arthur Copouts were talking about this today and they said at this stage he's no longer an ally of theirs and they've questioned whether he ever was. Thomas Hitzelberger, who's now openly gay, former Premier League footballer, people remember him playing with Aston Villa particularly, has been incredibly critical of Jordan Henderson. I think the criticism of this is probably going to be particularly strong because of how strong Henderson's views were before, before this. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, it'll be interesting. I presume at some point he will uh, publicly address it. He'll have to before he tries to reintegrate back in, I suppose. when is Whenever he's finished there and he has to come back towards the UK, he'll, he'll have to address it at some point or other. I don't know what possible reasons he will offer. I think overall the, the situation on his behalf is pretty pathetic. It, like, it's... It's just inexcusable, really. I mean, it's not like whatever about... And I don't think it's like... I don't think just for him. I think for sort of... Like anyone making that type of decision to do what he's doing um, and go where he's going for what appears purely monetary reasons. It's just unforgivable. It's really it's it's a really shoddy way for him to leave a club where I, I in your Liverpool support, you'll know more than me, where he was greatly respected, had achieved everything. And I think it was... Gareth Roberts from the Anfield Rap I saw tweeting about it um, you know kind of making almost a list of, of Henderson's achievements and contribution to the club and how he's leaving and it's like almost just with a shrug kind of like yeah sure that's that's what you want to go and do and how like it shouldn't really be that way you know and it's just it's just pretty sad like it's as I, I, I know like we obviously spoke to Martin Lipton before coming on and he kind of highlighted the reality of what it would be like to be offered that kind of money but I mean it's not The only reason I can imagine he would give if he is forced to address it would be the chance to link back up with Gerard and I know that's not true that's (laughs) not true it's because of money he's going but that's the only reason I can imagine he'd come out and think would be a good idea to put out there I wonder how Jordan Henderson feels when he watches the video that Aladifak put up earlier on where yeah, he's, you've wearing, that, yeah. he's wearing the rainbow armband and what they do is they put a block over it and grayscale it out and it's done as if it looks like a, a visual reason for doing so but it's clearly because a lot of the shots of Jordan Henderson in recent times as Liverpool captain had a rainbow armband and in a country where being homosexual is illegal Aladifak we're not going to have a rainbow armband on an announcement video even if it's the most exciting sign they've ever made so that just goes to show he is already part of a message and he is being used as a message even before he actually uh, kicks the ball for the club in essence it's so, such a so bizarre to think Liverpool's 
two most previous captains are in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. <laughs> Long-term captains, both won the Champions League, one won the Premier League, had huge roles and that's where they are. It's it's grim, but it's, it, it's re- where it, like, we are. It really is, though. It really is bad. Like, especially for someone like, again, I've no link whatsoever to Liverpool, um, but like the last number of years, you can't but be struck that on a personnel level, the way they've kind of behaved and the sort of general message and communal importance in the club, like from Klopp down, say, at that level. I, beyond that, everything's just business. It makes no difference where you are. But he's just been so central to that. And like, as you're saying... Like, and actively so, chose to do so. This absolutely. Was and, and, and with England, yeah. like completely kind of part Such of that thing. Leadership as well during COVID with the other captains, yeah. But it's And this is just a complete now slap in the face of that. It's and like again, I can't possibly think of one, but perhaps he has another reason beyond it that he's thinking. You kind of come back, and it sounds grubby to suggest that it's just plainly what it is. Well, but he can't, he can't say he's gone over there hoping to like he's not going for the betterment of his career. Like it's it's complete nonsense, and it's just on a really human level, it's really really bleak. Because there was another great piece as well about a week or so ago from Quivo O'Neill in the Athletic, who I think I, I certainly covers Liverpool. I'm not sure. I think I'm not sure support or not. Like, but covers Liverpool and again kind of broke down what it means to people who have invested an awful lot of interest and time and support in him to go and do this and it's like it's really it's it's such a a, a, sh- a really shameful ending mm. Mark Travers on the move as well Emery that is correct. Stoke City have confirmed the signing of Mark Travers from Bournemouth. The Republic of Ireland goalkeeper joins on a season-long loan. Stoke begin their championship campaign against Rotherham on the 5th of August. Meanwhile, St. Pat striker Owen Doyle has retired with immediate effect. A statement from the 35-year-old today said it was for personal reasons. Doyle was an Ireland under-15 international and played with a number of League of Ireland clubs when he was younger. He then had a spell at Hibs in Scotland. Scotland, as well as a number of clubs in the Championship and lower leagues. He joined Pats from Bolton in January of last year, making 42 appearances last season and then 21 this season. In that statement today, he thanked everyone at the club, saying he had a wonderful 18 months and leaves in Shakur with some great memories. Uh, before we finish up, two other stories as well, Amory. Good day in the pool for Mona McSharry, not quite in the medals, but a good day. And Ireland are heading to the T20 Cricket World Cup. Mona McSharry finished in seventh place in the 200 metre breaststroke semi-final today at the World Championships in Japan. The Sligo swimmer's time of 2 minutes 26.27 seconds though wasn't quick enough to make the final. However, very good day for the Irish men's cricketers as they've qualified for the T20 World Cup. Today's qualifier against Germany was abandoned due to rain but they had already secured four wins in qualifying. So we're going to the T20 World Cup. Did I say on Tuesday I hate rain deciding sporting fixtures? I relent entirely. Rain is great. It has sent Ireland to the T20 World Cup. Amory, thanks a million. Thanks Arthur as well. well. Arthur well. back with us a bit later on. Off the ball, daily.